This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. You know, Labs, the quarterback position is supposed to get harder to play as the game reaches weightier moments like the fourth quarter. Someone might want to tell Kenny Pickett that, though. I don't think the young man subscribes to that theory so far in his career. No, the guy, um, you know, there's a lot of things that he needs to improve upon. I mean, the guy is, this was his, what, his 18th career start. And so he's still very, you know, early on in his NFL career. And, you know, I think one of the things working against Kenny Pickett at this moment is he follows Ben Roethlisberger. Good point. I mean, people think, people think that, you know, and you remember too how much moaning and whining there was about Ben. You know, he's not this, he's not that, he can't do this, right. he doesn't do that. You know, whatever it is. Um, but you know, and I've I've held this belief for a long time. Steelers fans really had no idea what they had with him, and so. Um, Maybe, you know, and it's unfortunate that Kenny Pickett is bearing the brunt of this, but now maybe uh, people are starting to realize a little bit um, what Ben was and what he accomplished and how clutch he was in so many situations, second half, fourth quarter, last drive. Um, you know, Terry Bradshaw on the um, the Fox, whatever their studio show is right. called, um, he referred to Kenny Pickett as the perfect quarterback for the Steelers. Uh, and he listed some, you know, of Pickett's uh, qualities, personal and otherwise. You know, he's he's not selfish. He doesn't mind just handing the ball off or, you know, distributing uh, to his teammates. And, you know, I, I, I tend to agree with him in a lot of ways. Um, you know, there, as, I, as I said when we started this, there's a lot of things Kenny Pickett is not at this point in his career, but you can't, and I think we talked about this in a, in a previous podcast, he's already got two fourth quarter wins against the Ravens, right. okay, against the Ravens. And so, you know, think about that for a second, how difficult that is, uh, um, first of all, just to do that. Second of all, you know, one of those was in Baltimore, uh, you know, the Ravens are a tough team, physical team. They're the, the Steelers' number one rival in the AFC North. Um, so, you know, I, I just think that um, people should maybe, you know, dial it back on what Kenny Pickett is not uh, and be thankful for what he is. Um, and, you know, speaking of what he is, here's what he was. In the second half against the Rams, he was 11 of 12, which was 91.7% for those mathematically uh, challenged in, in our studio audience there. For like 152, me, like the host. <laughs> for 152 yards, he had a one-yard touchdown run in the third quarter. He converted a third and one with a two-yard quarterback sneak, and then he sent the game into victory formation with that one-yard quarterback sneak just outside of the two-minute warning. So, um you know, as I said, uh, I, I do think, I do agree with Terry Bradshaw that this is the guy um, for the Steelers at this time. No, he's not Ben. He's never going to be Ben. Uh, it's just like in college, he was not Dan Marino. You know, people need to get over some of this stuff and just appreciate players for what they actually are instead of what they might hope them to be. Yeah, and it's hard not to appreciate what Kenny did in that second half against the Rams and what he's been able to do in the fourth quarter throughout his career. You mentioned Terry Bradshaw. 
That's very apropos because he's at the center of our first question today from Nate Geisler from Boise, Idaho, who wants to know, on Sunday, the Steelers traveled to Los Angeles to play the Rams. It made me think of Super Bowl fourteen, which the Steelers won 31-19. I know Terry Bradshaw was the MVP of that Super Bowl, but he threw three interceptions in the game. I always thought the MVP should have been wide receiver John Stallworth for his big catches, much like what happened in Super Bowl X with Lynn Swan. What are your thoughts about Super Bowl fourteen and Bradshaw as the MVP? Labs, pat on the back. I got the Roman numerals right this time. <laughs> At a boy. I knew <laughs> I knew you were studying in between All our night, podcasts. Yep. <laughs> I, yep. Okay. Um, so let me let me just start with some um, statistics from that game, Super Bowl fourteen. In that game, Bradshaw completed fourteen of twenty one, which is sixty seven percent. 309 yards, he threw two touchdown passes, and he had three interceptions. And his rating was 101.9, which is a very high rating for a guy, a quarterback, who throws three interceptions in a game. But that shows you one of the categories that they use to um, compute uh, passer rating in the NFL is yards per completion. Okay, And again, Bradshaw completed only 14 passes, but those were for 309 yards. There was no dink and dunk in that (laughs) game. He was going down the field. Okay, so now by comparison, because Nate mentions John Stallworth. Stallworth caught three passes for 121 yards. One of those was a 73-yard touchdown, and another one was for 45 yards that converted a third and seven in the fourth quarter on the last drive that ended up with Franco Harris scoring that touchdown, one-yard touchdown that made the final score what it was, 31-19. Okay. Now, uh, Nate mentions Lynn Swan. You know, it's hard to argue against John Stallworth, but in that game, he only had three catches. You know, Swan had more catches than three, um, and there really wasn't, well, in the video of what Swan did in Super Bowl Ten was very compelling. And, uh, you know, there, there really wasn't anyone else who was that outstanding. So, uh, I'm not, again, I don't want to minimize what, uh, Swan did, but, um, you know, Stallworth would have been a tough sell for me in Super Bowl 14 as the MVP. Now, uh, just to play along with Nate here, uh, if, to identify a second candidate besides Bradshaw, I would point to Jack Lambert. Um, to refresh everyone's memory, in that game, Lambert was in on 14 tackles, <laughs> 10 of them solo. So he was uh, around a little bit, uh, making some plays. <laughs> and then it was his interception that came at the Steelers' 14-yard line with 524 left in the fourth quarter. And that preserved what was at the time a Steelers' 24-19 lead. Then that started the offense you know, on that final game-clinching touchdown drive I mentioned that ended with Franco Harris's one-yard run. So uh, I'm not going to make the case that Bradshaw was undeserving, but if you're asking me for a second choice from that game, I would have I picked Lambert. Edward Bontrager from McKee, Kentucky asks, do our edge rushers participate primarily in the linebackers or defensive line room? Uh, actually, you know, the Steelers on the, their uh, coaching staff they have an inside linebackers coach, that's Aaron Curry, and then an outside linebackers coach, and that's Denzel Martin. So when they're doing position meetings, um, the, each of the, the uh, groups go with their respective um, coaches. So 
uh, just, you know, uh, Landon Roberts, I'm just giving you some examples here, Landon Roberts, Cole Holcomb, Quan Alexander as examples, there with Aaron Curry, um, TJ Watt, Alonzo Highsmith, Nick Herbig, Marcus Golden, there with Denzel Martin. And then those are the, you know, the, the smallest meetings. And there are meetings with the defensive coordinator, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I, I'm hoping that answers Ed, Edward's question. I think it's going to be a fun time in the film room for Nick Herbig when he sees that first sack of the year. It was awesome to see the entire outside linebacker court. The whole defense gets so excited for the kid. And his yeah, interview after the game with Missy Labs on the on our radio network was unbelievable. The kid felt like he just won the Super Bowl. Well, uh, you know, and he he's he's working really hard at it. And one of the things I liked about him was, and I don't know if it was Missy or I read it or I because I, I don't remember. A lot of times after the game, it, it's a blur. But my recollection is Nick Herbig said something to the effect that that he saw along or he saw one of the other outside linebackers, one of the starters. I don't remember which one it was, either T.J. Watt or Alex Highsmith. Use that move to beat the, um, I think it was Highsmith. Use that move to beat the, the tackle. He did credit Highsmith. That, yes. Okay. Yeah. And so then Nick Herbig went out and said, "Well, you know, I saw Alex Highsmith do this, so I'm going to do it too." Now. That shows me two things that I was really impressed me. Number one, that he's paying attention, right? You know, and number two, that it's so quick he sees it, he does it. There was no practice in between, <laughs> you know, when Alex Highsmith sacked the quarterback and when Nick Herbig then went into the game. So, you know, it was one of those they call it a see do thing. You know, he saw it and then he went out and did it, and he did it in an NFL level, good enough to beat an NFL offensive offensive left tackle and make a sack in a regular season game. So yeah, he deserves to be excited and Steelers fans should be excited about him. I think he's going to be a really good player. Me too. And such a great personality. He also said in that post game interview, he wasn't really supposed to rush on that play. So whoops, thank God he got to the quarterback anyway. Well, you know, let me, let me, let me just tell Nick this and, uh, James Harrison wasn't supposed to drop into coverage in Super Bowl 43 either. But sometimes, you know, if your instincts are right and you make the play, you're a hero anyway. Thomas White from Gardendale, Alabama. With all the excitement around the Desmond King acquisition, why was he let go so soon? Um, you know, as it turns out, and, you know, and I think I'm a little guilty of this as well, uh, the excitement around the Desmond, Acqu- Desmond King ac- acquisition was overrated. Um and, you know, looking back on it now, we can see some of the signs that should have indicated to us that that was the case. I mean, Desmond King is a, was a veteran player um, many years in the league. He got to Pittsburgh in early September. Uh, it took him about a month to learn defense sufficiently to even get onto the field, okay? Then his first and only defensive snap in a regular season game for the Steelers was against the Ravens on October 8th. And that was Justin Hill's 14-yard touchdown run. Now, I'm not saying that was King's fault, but he had a chance to make a tackle, but he could not keep Hill out of the end zone. So, you know, again, um, Justice Hill is a good player and, you know, all that other stuff. But, you know, Desmond King was not, you know, the second coming of Rod Woodson. (laughs) So, um you know, as the, the as the as the Steelers entered their bye week, as I mentioned, King had only played that one defensive snap and 15 special team snaps. So I think the Steelers thought they were getting a little bit more 
uh, in King that they actually got. And, um, you know, the, why was the move made? Because, um, you know, I, I'm sure that we saw what he did in the game, which was a small sample size, and it wasn't anything. Uh, and But he was in practice every day. And, you know, I think that um, what the coaches saw, they just didn't think that the guy was going to work out. Um, you know, and let me just point this out, too. Before they cut him, the Steelers made it known that he was available in a trade. Right. Again, he's a veteran. Um, I'm sure that it would have been some sort of conditional seventh round pick or, you know, one of those, um, you know, we'll send him to you for this and that. And you send us back this, which is basically swapping of picks in a round or something. Uh, no nibbles. So, um, yeah, it's as I said, I just think it was uh, overrated from the beginning. Um, you know, we'll see if Darius Rush turns out to be more than that or just another that kind of situation. But, um, you know, the Steelers have now added him to the roster. They claimed him off a practice squad. Um, and one thing he's got for him is size. So with Joey Porter Jr., Darius Rush, and Corey Trice Jr., um, you know, the Steelers, if hoping that Trice comes back from his knee surgery, uh, they're going to have like three yeah. corners in the 6'2", 6'3", range, which – you know, hopefully if they can all can play, that, that, that might be something not to look forward to. Speaking of the practice squad, Will McIntosh from Bellevue, Florida, has a practice squad question. If the Steelers don't feel anyone is worthy of the practice squad, are teams required to carry the, num- the maximum number of players allowed on that squad by the NFL? And what is the total number that is allowed? Okay, the maximum number on a practice squad is 16, and there is no minimum. So, you know, a team can have whatever number on its practice squad between zero and 16 uh, that it chooses. And let me just point this out, too, to Will. All those guys on the practice squad count on the salary cap. So sometimes, and I'm not saying this happens a lot, but I'm sure it happens every now and then, the number of players on the practice squad might reflect the team's uh, cap number or their situation in, in terms of being under the cap. Um, because, as I said, those guys have to count. Stan Romankis from Hoosick Falls, New York. I was at the game versus the Ravens, and Mason Rudolph was in uniform and on the field during warm-ups, even though he was listed as inactive for the game. What is the rule on that for inactive players? Was he allowed to warm up due to being the emergency quarterback? Um, I'm just going to give you, Stan, uh, what the NFL says about this. The quote is, about the rule. A designated emergency third quarterback may participate with the club's active players during the official team warm-up period. So there you go. Very simple from the NFL there. Phil Abraham from, for a change. For a change. For a change. Very direct, <laughs> yes. Phil Abraham yes, no from lawyer, <laughs> no lawyer no lawyerese this time. Sorry to interrupt. No, you're good. Phil Abraham from Erie, Pennsylvania. In your opinion, will the Steelers ever turn to Mitch Trubisky to hopefully get a spark if the offense continues to struggle. Ah, oh, come on, Phil. It's quick. You want to handle fourth, this one? Hey, he just had a fourth-quarter <laughs> comeback, like a fifth one of his career. He's four and two. Well, let me, you know, let me just absolve Phil of this. This question was not sent in this morning. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I do think that the, that the um, situation uh, that existed with Kenny Pickett uh, from the Houston game to the Ravens game, should answer this question. I mean, just to refresh everyone's memory, Kenny Pickett injured his knee against in Houston against the Texans. 
Okay. And then he was, he got himself ready to practice and practice during the week. And then he played against the Ravens and the Steelers won that game. Now, I'm not saying he was you know, the second coming of Dan Marino or Ben Roethlisberger, but uh, it was a winning performance by a starting quarterback against the Baltimore Ravens, everyone. Let me keep refreshing everyone's memory about that. And if anyone was uh, had some free time on Sunday and was watching Baltimore against Detroit. Yeah, how they do. Um, it, yeah, so there's that. Um, so anyway, but that to me is uh, proof that whenever Kenny Pickett is healthy enough to play, he will be the quarterback. Pat, Pat Flynn from Oakdale, Pennsylvania. Does it matter to the players if the offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator is sitting in the press box or standing on the sidelines? Is there an advantage to the coordinator of being in the press box or sidelines for game management? Um, I don't. I've never heard of a single player ever having an opinion on whether the offensive coordinator or the defensive coordinator was on the sideline or in the coach's box. Um, just to use the offense as an example, because now this is on TV all the time. <laughs> Matt Canada is in the pre- in the coach's box. Pat Sullivan, the quarterback's coach, is on the field. And so that's why you see a lot of times, you know, when there is an offensive huddle or uh, when they come off the field, the person to go up to Kenny Pickett and talk to him is um, Mike Sullivan. And, you know, oftentimes, obviously, you see them wearing headsets. So, you know, Matt Canada can be talking to Mike Sullivan. So, you know, it's, it's, and it's not like, and if it, and if it's necessary, you know, it's very easy for Kenny Pickett to be wired in to the conversation as well. I mean, the, the technology down there is, is pretty good. So, um, being in the in the coach's box doesn't necessarily mean that the guy is away from some duties that he needs to perform. Because again, as I said, you know, you're just a click away on one of those little boxes that they snap onto your waistband, uh, and you're wired right into the conversation. So, um, no, players don't care. I can't believe that they do. And you know, the decision on the location. Um, in my experience, it's always been a matter of personal preference uh, for the coordinator. And then, of course, you know, the head coach has to go along with it. And I don't know of any instances either where a coordinator chose one or the other and the head coach said, no, you're not doing it that way. Because obviously you want your coordinator to be comfortable, you know, with what he's doing during when he's supposed to be doing it. And so, you know, to me, that would be just a raging egomaniac move by the head coach and I don't know any who would really stoop that low for that particular issue who do you think the cameras love more in game Matt Canada during Steelers games or Taylor Swift during Chiefs games it's close right (laughs) I'll tell you I'll tell you who I love more but I mean my opinion doesn't matter (laughs) Nate McSorley from Cameron Montana I constantly see players with mouth guards dangling from their face masks during play is it required by the NFL for players to use mouth guards? No. No, it's not. I mean, they're pros. So, um, take care of you your know, teeth at you your can, own yeah, and your concussions. Well, and, yeah. You know, and sometimes, right, exactly. I mean, I'm sure that it's encouraged, but I mean, you know, and, and let's not forget, not only are they pros, but they have a union. And certainly the NFL is not going to take on the union over something like mouth guards. <laughs> Uh, because there are bigger issues 
more financially lucrative issues at stake in in collective bargaining. And so the answer is no, and it's always going to be no because uh, I just don't think that the union cares enough about it, and neither does the league. I do miss Benny Snell's mouth guard though, that had the wheel on the front that spun whenever he would breathe. That was that was pretty <laughs> that was pretty cool. Nathan Casey from Roanoke, Virginia. Do the Steelers hold open tryouts for the team in the offseason? <laughs> I guess could this guy imagine? was watching Invincible, the Vince Papali story. Could, could you imagine that? Open tryouts. I mean, could you imagine um, the, the, the collection of individuals who might show up for that? I mean, <laughs> I cannot imagine a realistic scenario where anyone could be unearthed that way, you know, discovered a legitimate talent because, um, you know, let's face it, the scouting that goes on now, um, you know, the Steelers have scouts who are dedicated to combing through the CFL, the USFL, the XFL, all of those leagues. So if you're not playing for anybody anywhere, um, I don't think um, you have a shot. And um, here's the other thing, besides the fact that it would be the gong show, um, guys can get injured, and then there's liability there. So what the NFL's the NFL League Council and the individual teams council would say, no, we're not doing this. Some guy blows out a knee or something, and you know he could sue you, and you know liability, bad publicity. There's there's a thousand reasons why that's a hard no. Edward Charney from Forty Fort, Pennsylvania. I have noticed this year in the NFL that an increasing number of penalty flags are being waved off after consultation among multiple officials. Have you noticed this trend? And if so, is this a directive from the NFL to eliminate penalties that can change the scope and tenor of a game? Oh, Edward, pushing one of my favorite buttons here. Um, <laughs> Not only NFL officiating, but this particular issue of NFL officiating. Um, this frustrates me to no end. Um, this is so annoying. Uh, a penalty flag is thrown, okay? And then they all get together and talk. And Chuck Noll always derisively referred to that as an administrative session. And then they come out of this conversation and announce what it is. Now, my complaint. Number one is, whoever threw this flag, I'm speaking to you right now, if you don't know what you saw for sure, don't throw the flag. <laughs> don't guess. Don't assume. You know, leave it alone. If you don't know for sure, leave it alone. And then, you know, let them play. Let the game unfold uh, via what the players do on the field. Uh, you know, and I hate this. And and I don't know this for a fact, but, you know, there there are officials on the sideline, and I do believe the referee, too, is plugged in. He's got something in his ear. Okay? So who do you think's talking to him? Have any, the any, league. Any? <laughs> so now we're involved in things where possibly there could be review of things that are not reviewable according to the rules. So I just hate all of that. If you don't know for sure, then you shouldn't throw the flag. And if you threw the flag and then there's an administrative session, you should be the guy who says, no, I'm not backing off this call. I saw this. It had happened. That's my call. 
but no, we don't. That's that's not the way it works. So, thank you, Edward, for getting my blood pressure <laughs> high. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Well, but it got, is my number one pet pet peeve about officiating. Just one more question to go here, Labs, and then you can you know you can lay down, maybe take a drink of some water, okay. and relax a little bit. Austin Hackett from Denver, Colorado, wants to know: Do you know when the decision on which day the Steelers Colts game in Indianapolis will be announced? It's currently listed as December 16th or December 17th. I'm hoping to travel to Indianapolis for the game and don't know what day to book book a flight home. Okay, what I all I can tell you is this. Um, that decision on the day and the time will be made no later than after week 13, which is two weeks before the Colts game in Indianapolis, which is week 15. Um, that's the best I can do. You know, just stay, stay loose, Austin, and, and you know, keep watching. Um, and as soon as the league comes up with some sort of um, decision on that, It'll be on the website. It'll be on all the Steelers' uh, many media platforms. You know, that's information we want to get out to our fans as quickly as possible. Steelers return home this Sunday and are home for their next three games, starting with the Jags at Acrisure Stadium. Labs, the, the table's set up pretty nicely for the Steelers to go on a nice little run here, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that when the trouble usually starts? When... Well, you know, I, I just – I don't believe – you know, and I'm not ripping this team or anything, but this, you know, like Mike Tomlin said after the game in Los Angeles, every week it's going to be a fight. These Steelers are not that kind of team where you can look at an opponent and say they should win this. They will win this game right. or they should win this game. You know, Jacksonville, what are they, 5-2? and two? Yep, they're good. Something like that? Yeah. Okay, so, you know, the, the Jaguars are no um, – you know, speed bump here. Uh, you know, look at what happened last week in the NFL, boys and girls. I mean, um, who everybody who had New England beaten Buffalo, raise your right hand. <laughs> I mean, seriously. So, um, you know, didn't Denver win? Denver won, yes. Yeah. Did the Bears win? The Bears won with yeah. Tyson Badgett. Okay. <laughs> so there you go. Um, you know, any given Sunday, as Pete Rozell always said, any given Sunday. Well, hopefully the Steelers win a fight against the Jags. One o'clock kickoff at Acrisure Stadium. Don't call the. You know they hate call being called Jags. Oh, okay, so I'm sorry. Try to do it as much as try and do it as much as possible. One o'clock kickoff against those Jags coming up from Jacksonville at Acrisure Stadium. Thanks so much for listening to Ask and Answer today. Get your questions into Labs, and maybe you'll hear them read on a future edition. For Bob Labriola, I'm Tom Opperman, and we'll talk to you guys next week.